right. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to a very special edition. Uh, travel, travel edition. We're in the big smoke. We're in Hawk vs. Wolf, Cast Studios, Hollywood. Big time stuff. 18th floor. 18th floor. And we are here with director Sam Jones. <clears throat> um, I, I don't, Sam is a very prolific photographer, director, um, did the Wilco doc, does portraits, does off camera, and he did a little project on my career. A little one. <laughs> just <laughs> not. Just a short. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it is actually, it's out tomorrow. Well, it's uh, it's out April 5th. Which, yeah. oh, that, right. We know well, what we're we doing. got it tomorrow. Just we, kick we back know. and answer the questions, all right, champ? We got this. <laughs> we are pre-recording this, but not far off. Yeah. I just I just want to bring the truth to the to the audience. Yes, it's out April 5th, which is tomorrow. And I'm very excited. It's on HBO. And uh yeah, it's it was uh I can't believe it's over the process. Yeah. yeah, it was um when was the Okay, so let's start from the beginning. Uh Sam, I I did his off-camera show. Yes, which 2013 is, you did my show. 2013 and uh he dazzled me with his knowledge of skateboarding to the point where I was like, oh, you really were there for these events. You skated Whittier. Yes. Oh. He's yes. OG. I skated Skatopia, Concrete Wave, Colton, Whittier, Upland, Del Mar. You competed or you just skated? I competed in Castle. Dang. In fact, I did the triumvirate. I did uh, uh, vertical, street style, and I did a freestyle contest, which I won. No what? way. Yes. This is amateur, I won, right? I won an amateur Castle Street uh, freestyle contest. I got third in the street skating that day. It was at the Camelot. Remember Camelot uh, Water Park in Anaheim off the freeway? There was like a water slide. It's Big O. No, it wasn't, it wasn't Big O. It was, uh, it was on the 91. Oh, I never went there. On the border of Fullerton and Anaheim. And they had a street skate contest, street skating contest and a freestyle contest in the parking lot. Oh, it was wow. my it was my biggest skate day. What was your big freestyle move? It was you put the board on the uh, uh, on its rails and you give it the big kick in the tail. Oh, and it like, that's the original pressure flip. Pressure flip. That yeah. was my trick. That's, I could do it every time. The original pressure flip is standing on the rail sideways, like yep. primo. Yes, and then snapping it. Yep. Yeah. I had a feeling I was going to learn something today. <laughs> I was really trying not to, but there it is again. <laughs> um, so then uh, Sam hit me up one day and said, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about doing uh, a couple of documentaries. Yeah, yeah. What happened? We went out to lunch or something up here? We went to Son of a Gun on uh, Beverly Boulevard, I think, um, by the Beverly Center. And, and I pitched you on a documentary about your life, which... I think I was surprised to hear you say that you'd been approached before and the people who approached you saw the 900 as the pinnacle and the end of your career and where yeah. the story should end. I had a few different offers like that. Yeah. And, and I would tell them, well, I like to think that I have continued on since then. That was, you know, we're, we're nearing He's 20 years me. on that. <laughs> at the time, what well, was like 15 years at the time? And, and it's like, I like to think I'm still doing it and still relevant or progressive. And, and it was always, that was always it. It was like, you, you, you went through all these, all these ups and downs and then you did a 900, you got a video game and credits roll. 
Yeah, exactly. And you know, the funny thing is that uh, it took so long to sort of get this thing off the ground. We talked about it for a while. And then I got an invitation from your wife to your 50th surprise birthday party. And it just hit me like Tony Hawk is turning 50. That was weird even to me. Like we are <laughs> it old. It was weird to me too. Yeah. And, <clears throat> and that's when I thought, oh, that that's even a title. Like that was an early working title in my head. Tony Hawk is 50 because I think that freaks people out in some way. It's like when you see that Pantera has a 25th anniversary for an <laughs> album and I go, wait, 25. Oh God, I'm so old. Because <laughs> yeah, I feel like- And that's young now for yeah. us. Something that turned 25 for us is like, that's still rel- that's still like new. Yeah, that just came out. There are professional people out there who were born in the two thousands who were like, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know, they're filling out tax returns, and it's very strange. Um, but but then when we talked about that nine hundred thing and people thinking that that was sort of the culmination of your life and your success, um, it made me. It actually helped me realize what I wanted the movie to ultimately be about, which is that, you know you're still you're still finding new frontiers in skating you're still pushing yourself and the question becomes um how, you know how, how is your identity wrapped up in aging how is your love and passion for something wrapped up in your body uh you know and and historically us as as people sort of slowing down at this age and to me that was really interesting that that and also from my own experience of skating where I'm not like you, I don't skate every day and, and I go through waves and I find it every time I go through one of those waves, I have to get my body back in the place where I can skate again. And it feels like I'm riding someone else's board. You know, <laughs> I'm feeling like when you get on someone else's board. I just board, got it back on the wave, so I totally get it. Yeah, it's the strangest thing. It's like and, it's betraying you. And, and I feel like such an idiot every time I stop because I'm like, well, now I just have to do it again. Yep. And I have to like, you have, have to build to, back up to that. Yeah, that's yeah. Place. I'm in such a position right now from learning how to skateboard again that it took so long and it felt so foreign and dangerous for the first three months that I cannot afford at my age to let that go again. I'm like, no matter what, make sure you show up at least once a week because I don't want to be back in that spot where it feels dangerous, like riding vert and not really knowing you're bored anymore. If I enough, I don't need that adrenaline where I'm oh, I feel like I might go to hospital today just by cruising around. And that's how I felt for the first couple months. Yeah. So now that I'm back, I'm like, don't ever get back in that position. Cause I don't know if I have the the will to face that amount of fear again. It just seems at my age a little irresponsible. I'm like, just just stay there enough to be somewhat safe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and with me, my waves always end with an injury that would stop me for right. long enough. And then I would I would kind of slowly miss it and then go back to it. And I remember uh, right before I got married, I hung up on a 50-50 at the Cove Park in Santa Monica and I snapped my collarbone. Just I just did a swan dive straight to the bottom of the bowl, yeah. snapped my collarbone. And, you know... I. Then that that trick goes on my list of well maybe I shouldn't do that trick again because uh-huh. I know how to do it. It was almost like something reached up and grabbed my back trucks yeah. and I was I don't understand why I why it I didn't know work. exactly what you mean. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, isn't that the crazy thing though? It's like y- you 
your head maybe is one age and your body's another and your perception. And, and that was really interesting to me. And so trying to, trying to make sense of the balance between risk and reward and identity was, it was an interesting for me to but, think. Uh, okay. So I have a question about this because it is such a theme in the doc and it seems like it stemmed from Stacy's interviews. Did you know that going forward that Stacy would be the voice of, of someone saying, this is too much, you know, he's too old to be doing it like this? I did not. Um, but did you anticipate wow. that that would be a narrative? Well, I did, I did when I prepared to interview him because what happened was I called Stacy to get his blessing on making this because I kind of felt like, well, if Stacy wants to make this film, he probably deserves to know that I'm talking to you and thinking about making it so he can say, no, wait a minute. And I would respect that because, you know, Stacy has made two skate films and, you know, he's the keeper of a he lot formed, of your history. The and he formed the Bones Brigade. So I wanted to get his, his blessing basically before going forward. And, and that's when we had this long conversation and then I knew his stance. But I did not, I did not. I had all those questions about identity and risk and everything before talking to Stacy, and then I found out how he felt. And mm. what was interesting to me about Stacy is that he he feels such a. Um, I know he doesn't think of himself as a father figure, but and and you don't think of him as a father figure, but he has a very familial sense of care about all of you and your legacies and and your lives and your safety. And and I thought that was actually really touching. And I think Stacy was very afraid that he would come off as being the lone dissident voice mm -hmm. in that argument. And I said, no, you're probably in the majority. But what? I, I Is think, he? Yes. Oh. I think to I, outsiders. I yeah. think so. I, I understand. Like, I, but I, I get it. But also when you're, I guess it's more when you're close to the heart of what we do <laughs> and seeing us doing it day in and day out, you don't think of it in those terms like that because you see it like, it's like my wife says, I don't really worry about you because I know you're going to the ramp and you're hanging out with friends, you're listening to music, you're joking around, you're doing, you know, you're just kind of, it's not some heavy, like, let's get, let's push the limits here. Let's see how far we can take it. You're not surfing Mavericks on a, on <clears throat> right. a giant and, day. And sure, there is a risk. Obviously, I'm here living proof that there is a risk to that. But at the same time, She's, you know, it's it's not jumping the Great Wall and stuff like that. And so she understands that. I think the other, the the the, the hard part for me to watch in, in terms of when Stacy's talking about it is he talks about how he called my brother and he and um he actually called my wife first. And for the hierarchy of importance of who I'm going to listen to, it starts with her. Sure. Um, and you know that was left out or he didn't say it. So that, that was kind of odd to me. But at the same time, I remember her telling me when he called her and, and said that like, oh, we need, you need to have an intervention. You have to talk with him. And then he called my brother. And then he eventually did call me directly. Right. Um, and I kind of had to talk him off the ledge. It was tricky, man. It was, it was hard because, you know, it, 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 I never thought I would ever be at odds with Stacy in any way. Yeah, and and I think that was a hard thing for me to see as well because, hey, we all become adults, we move on, we have our own lives, we have our own kids, and people fall out of touch and or or they or they get busy, uh, 
And when you see something from a distance or, or as in Stacy's situation, when he came to the animal chain reunion and he saw you take such a hard hit, yeah. I think he had the worst case scenario in his mind of what that could look like. And that's there. There's a, there's a risk that we all know about that's there. And I think that was unbearable for him because he's known you since you were a little kid and he saw you so small and, and uh, he shepherded you through this. And, and I think what he's really talking about there, and I, I don't want to speak for Stacy. it's just, just my, my opinion is that I don't know if he could handle the worst case scenario. Um, it would be very hard for him. Do you know what I mean? I know what you mean. Yeah, and and I and I get it, and I know that that was that was traumatic. Uh, it was you know for for me too because it's not like I'm. I guess the I guess the the what I see too in terms of of his view and also what you presented, it was cherry picking these really traumatic incidents, but putting them all in the same time frame. Was that the plan? Sorry to interrupt, but was that the plan of the documentary to because it was it's pretty dark, especially for him. I didn't. He never usually has content that involves the tough part of right, right. his life. And I feel like this documentary is a whole lot of that and and showing how many slams. Because I skated him in my whole life. Yeah, he's taken some, but not. it's not – I don't want to use anybody else, but he's not one of those accident-prone, always getting hurt, doesn't know his last name kind of people. Like, he's usually – he's in control. He's very talented. And very sometimes so, you get yeah. bit. That's that's the game. When I heard, like, when I started to catch that people were like, "Hey, maybe he should stop," I I was like, "That makes no sense to me at all." I get his angle on hitting your head, and hey, if you hit your head again, and look how old we are, we should probably stop. But intervention for him to skateboard is is insulting to me. Like, yeah. I was like, I was offended. Hey, 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 Jason Ellis, Hulk versus Wolf, talking about Fitbod. Fitbot, Fitbot is an app that you can get and put in your uh, your your watch, your smartwatch, and basically it's like having a coach that uh, shows you what to do. It depends on what body, what you're trying to achieve, all the different goals that you're trying to get going for your body. You you ask, you tell them that, and then you basically have a coach in your phone that tells you and updates you what you're doing, how you're going, how you can be better, how you can strengthen th certain things, all different exercises, how to do them correctly, you name it. It's, it's a personal trainer in your wrist. Um, so for me, just, you know, you sign up and you get the little thing in your phone and then it just keeps you updated. It kind of helps you keep going, you know, because it doesn't let you cheat. If you don't cheat, if you don't, if you don't do it, it shows and it, and it tells you that you need to get it done or you cannot move on and become fitter. So, like I said, it's a coach. I don't think it yells at you though. Uh, get twenty five percent off your subscription if you try the app for free when you sign up at fitbod.me/wolf. That's twenty five percent off everybody off your subscription when you sign up today at fitbod.me. Wait. Fitbod.me slash wolf. I know it's, I, I came from a good place, but I, I wasn't offended and I wasn't insulted by Stacy's take because I think Stacy has a different relationship with Tony and he himself has moved on to other pursuits that bring him a lot of fulfillment. Yeah. So he has a different relationship. And the film was not in any 
I, I never had any plan to make it a film about the darkness of it all. What I wanted to show was how hard Tony works and how much work is required to get to the levels that he's gotten to okay. and how much risk is involved. When I talked to you in 2013 on my show, Tony, I said, look, I'm very clear the reason that I didn't get any better at skateboarding is because I wasn't willing to to slam like that. Oh. I would slam. Like, I remember a very specific slam. I learned inverts at one point and we had a ramp we had the fullerton ramp and it was so slippery we had to mop it with a mixture of coca-cola and water and you could skate it for about 20 minutes and then your wheels would gunk up with that mixture and then you'd have to wash your wheels and do it again and the ramp was we made a mistake we put mason out on it and then the the, the guy that owned it uh urethaned it like a boat surface so this ramp was like ice and i would over rotate on backside inverts and then i would just slam so hard Chicken. on my head and I stopped doing them and I, cause I was on the wrong ramp. Um, but it was so clear to me that I wasn't willing to, to do the tricks that, that had the harder, the harder mm. slams. Um, and Tony was, and that was the, that was the, one of the questions I first had for you was, do you think that you're somebody that has a high tolerance for pain? Or do you think you're somebody that, um, that, is willing to get hurt. And that became, that became a very interesting question for you in this film is like, and you say at the beginning of the film, you say, I wasn't planning on getting hurt, but I was willing to get hurt to get what I wanted. And, and I think that that's not a mainstream uh, take on. No, I, yeah, I, I get it. And, <clears throat> but I, I guess that's the thing that, you know, I'm not some adrenaline junkie and I'm looking for some ways to defy death. It right. was just more like the pursuit of these things took, took getting hurt along the way. Yeah. I didn't want to, but I, I was willing to go through that. I think it was really the, the first time I got hurt, I got, I mean, I was wearing a flyaway helmet because I thought it looked cool. Provided yeah, no protection. Mistake. Um, Me too. I thought it looked cool. I look back in those videos. I'm like, wow, you were wrong. <laughs> yeah. It's not the greatest look. It was just, it was Christian just Christian looked good with it on. Sure. Everybody but it was else just a piece stupid. of plastic for your head. Yeah. And, and that is how the helmets were back then too. So, my first time hitting my head, I got KO'd, knocked my front teeth out. Someone found me laying in the bottom of the brown bowl at <laughs> Oasis. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> That's so diesel. What's that? That's so gangster. <laughs> How old were you? Uh, 11. That's a bit sad, really. Um, you know, your sister told me that story that because they terrifying. called her. They called Lenore. I think yeah, they, they just go through the list. Right. <laughs> and my parents were at work, so. Um, but, but what I remember is when I did finally really come to, I was in the pro shop and Doug Saladino was sitting next to me because they, they sort of put him like, will you just watch him while we go get a, you know, an ambulance or whatever? And I woke up and I go, hey, you're Doug Saladino. He's like, yeah. <laughs> like, well, what happened? <laughs> Man. He's like, you fell. And I'm like, where are my teeth? Um, but I remember, well, I'm selling a story because I do remember <clears throat> in that moment, my first thought wasn't, what have I done? I'm never doing this again. My first thought was, I'm never going to hang up on a rock and roll again. Right. right. And and a lot of people think that, I, I do feel like that was a milestone moment where, you know, because I hear all the time, oh, I, I tried to skate. I went down my driveway, broke my wrist. I was done. Threw it away. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. for me, it was like, it was like, <clears throat> oh, that was a that was a good learning process, I guess. Not good, but... I'm going to endure that. Yeah. And then my dad's not gonna let me wear a flyaway anymore. 
<laughs> Do you well, think it's maybe the passion that you like? Because to me, it makes perfect sense because you love it so much. Sure, like but I'm I, just saying that was the first instance and the first time where I thought clearly of, oh, I will keep doing this. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I mean, and the irony I, is that Stacy got me on the team because I wouldn't give up. Yeah. Do you know exactly. what I mean? He put me on the Bones Brigade because I was determined. And I was always disappointed, or I was always willing to to keep challenging. Oh myself. yeah, he he talked a lot about how what he saw in you, that that this determination and grit that he knew that your body was going to develop and you were going to grow into it. But but he was that that was the thing when he says, "Why did I put him on the team and not somebody else, whoever it was, at the time?" Um, it was it was that determination. Yeah, I'm just saying the irony is because yeah. now the, yeah, that, sure. that is the, the fault that he sees. Um, as we've gotten older, um, and I get it, I you know what I mean. I, I'm not sitting here trying to be at war with Stacy. I totally understand her perspective yeah. and, and the stuff he saw is scary, absolutely. And and I think that you did a good job with providing both sides of the argument. And Rodney puts it as elegantly as anyone could have ever <clears throat> of what it gives us. Yeah, and and that was incredible. Like I really I can't believe I can because Rodney's a genius, but. That you the, the way it was crafted um, and, and the way it came together was just like, oh, this, yeah, yeah, what he said. I just want to stand next to Rodney and be like, yep. Well, that was the interesting thing is, is almost, almost t by having a chorus of skaters talk about it, it took some of the uh, onus off of you to make it, this is the way Tony Hawk feels. What Rodney was able to do was sort of speak the mantra of skateboarding, which yeah. is, this is why we do it and why we love it. Yeah. And, you know, Hunter S. Thompson said, you know, don't, you know, don't leave a pretty corpse, like you live your life. Yeah. And I think that's the argument I was trying to make is that your level of joy and reward and excitement in your life is going to be directly related to your uh, tolerance for uh, what you're willing to, take chances on or take risks on. And I think I, I think the argument is pretty clear at the end of the movie that that the people that we're talking to have experienced a level of, of satisfaction and success through taking those risks that most people won't experience. And my small sample smattering so far of the people I've shown the film to, I think people walk out questioning uh, have I lived too safe of a life? Not has Tony lived too risky of a life? <laughs> okay, good. Because yeah, that's that's what you. To me, it may, you know, I was like, whoa, this is a really, this is a real piece that most people don't get to see. Uh, not just Tony, but skateboarders. They, you just see the X Games, or you see somebody in a magazine. Like, there's a lot of hard work that where it, it looks like for a second, you, you maybe you should stop because it's. It's fighting you. It's making you're like, wow, why am I doing this? I'm hurt all the time. But the passion, if you love it that much, and then you you still go and you make stuff, and you, even if you don't, I find even when I don't make stuff and I try for a couple of days, I feel alive because yeah. I'm so wrapped up in this thing that you know. I go home and give my kids dinner or whatever. No, no one knows. But for a minute there, I was so consumed. Like a young man, like a like an eighteen year old again. Yeah. Where I was like, oh, if I don't get this, 
I don't know what I'll do with the rest of <laughs> yeah. my life. And I'm 50 and it's like Tuesday <laughs> yeah. afternoon and yeah. no one cares. But so, I do. There's so many tears like that for me on right? the ramp. Yeah. But it's such for a sure. fear. Like you can't. Go on. I didn't when, make the shove it lip slide yeah. thing I was trying. And well, when I, you're a skateboarder and you know, because we've had our heydays. We're not as good as we used to be. So, you know, it's factual. You know that you're not going to be doing this, especially at this level, for the rest of your life. It's like a... It's a reminder that life w is short and it will come to an end. So make the most of it. I feel like that is the biggest thing that I get from from failing at the ramp. I I, I know that you're you're still here. You can still you have a I don't know how many days left. How many yeah. years left? Maybe you have an obligation to do it if you can do it. That's the way I feel. And my, my dumb version of that is I still when I go to the skate park and I haven't skated for a while, and then I go oh, especially at the cove because that pool's pretty messed up and the coping is pretty uh like i don't know the what's the proper term for how steep coping sticks up on top but when you drop into that cove your board is sticking like 45 degrees up and it's oh you mean the top is the angle. top yeah because yeah. the cove yeah that sucks uh, and and so you you go to drop in at the cove and if i haven't dropped in for a month or three months or six months or whatever you're so you're have, beyond 90 degrees when yes. you're standing up there yeah That's, you can alleviate that by sliding it out but it's tricky yeah, but sliding it out, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, my trucks are too far away from the coast. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to go through that same thing I did at age 14, where right. I'm like, oh, and if I don't, I'm mad at myself. Right. And I'm like, wait a minute. I'm in my 50s and I have to pick my kids up. Like, why am I mad at myself for not dropping in? It's because welcome to our I, world. Because I still can. Yeah. But you know, that joy that you're talking about, that's the whole thing. And that's it's kind of like one of those things. If if you haven't experienced it, it's very hard to relate it to somebody else. But I'll tell a quick, funny story that describes it as good as I can describe it. Um, which is, I always thought a backside ollie was the coolest trick because they were just starting to be invented when I was skating vert. Like a lot of people did frontside ollies, but backside ollie was still fairly um, exotic. And I started learning them on that Fullerton ramp. And there was there was one day when I got them off the coping. And I, it was like a backside air. And I was like, I don't even need to touch my board. And, and I learned backside ollies out. Yeah. And awesome. I came home and I, I didn't have a great relationship with my dad. My dad was a pretty, he was a hard ass and um, not a joyful man. And um, I, had, I learned the trick and then we went out and we did whatever we did. And anyway, I got home at like nine or 10 at night and, uh, and my dad was asleep. And I was so excited. I was so filled up with that thing. Like I made backside ollies and nothing could touch me, you know? And so I sat down, I'm like, I want to play the piano because I play piano. I was so happy. I'm going to play the piano. I knew my dad was asleep. Start playing the piano and he comes out in his underwear. Like he's like, he's going to kill me, right? Because <laughs> I'm waking him up. Oh. And I was like, it doesn't even touch me. Like whatever the punishment or whatever it is, I was just so happy that I had made this trick. And that's a long walk to get to the the destination of this, which is skateboarding does have that thing when you when you get that feeling. There's not much else that touches it, and I understand why you still are doing it, Tony. And I and I admire it and I respect it. And and yeah, me too. Yeah, I really do. And and you too. I mean, God the things you're doing on Tony's ramp are it's shocking like I expect yeah, I'm pretty Tony, Tony I'm pretty but, shocked myself <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, I I saw that that backside air 
kickflip that you pulled off uh, is yeah. really incredible. I was really impressed. See, they, I'm glad you brought that up because when I did that, he was somewhere else and someone told him immediately that I'd made a kickflip Indian. I hadn't done one for 20 years, but I didn't even realize how long ago. And he texts me and goes, dude, and I'm driving back home with a big smile on my face. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? In my car by myself. Looking having, for a piano. Having, yeah, if I had to have one in the car, off I would have gone. Liberace, here we go. You know, and he goes, dude, when was the last time you did that? And I was like, at one of your demos. And he goes, that's 20 years ago. And I started to tear up driving down the freeway. Not sad, just like, this is one of the greatest feelings I've ever had in my life. Like, I can't believe... We're here again. I, I can't believe I can't believe how happy this is making me to know that that I, I fought through it. And for a couple of days there, I was like, maybe, maybe you're too old to do this trick. It really looks like it's not going for you well. And yeah, maybe just call it a day. And then to make it, it just inspired me to like want to live life and do more. It's like, being alive. Yeah. It's being alive. It's you know, another similarity in my life is uh, jumping a motorcycle on a yeah. motocross track. And when you finally like commit and you're like, okay, I'm not going to, uh, I'm, I'm going to mm -hmm. hold it on the whole way. And you're, I'm going to, I'm going to make it. And when you land it, you feel sort of invincible. And, yep. and then, you know, if you crash, you don't. And that's the deal. But, but uh, I, I understand it. And, and I hope people walk away from the film knowing where I stand. And I think the way I end the film with Rodney and the quote, People can understand where I stand, but I, I didn't want to have any judgment on it because I think when a documentary passes judgment, it doesn't allow, allow the audience to have a, a, a feeling or, a, or, a, or an argument or a discussion or their yeah. own opinion because you're telling them how to think. And so I really wanted to leave that open and, and invite everybody and the way they feel about it to, you know, to have that conversation. Yeah, well, well done then, because that's what it did. I do remember <clears throat> you asked me at some one of our last interviews, you said, what does that mean until the wheels fall off? And I don't think I put it correctly in that moment, but um, it's so obvious now. Like when it, you asked me, I was like, I don't know, it's like us just driving off of the road, uh, you know, into the, into the sunset, just wow, <laughs> until the wheels fall off. But I feel like it's more that we're going to keep doing it until something beyond our control makes us stop. Yeah. Yeah. No, Rodney, when, when we first were combing through the interviews and Rodney said that line, I said to Greg, I go, that's the title. And he goes, ah, I don't think so. I don't. And I go, watch, it's going to be the title. Like it's too good. And he's, ah, it's long. It's the, and, uh, and you know, he well, had what were the other titles you had in mind. Well, like I said, it, we were, he's 50. Yeah. He's 50. <laughs> I don't like that one. No, it, it wasn't a good title, but it was that. It was, right? you know what a title does, though? A title is like if you ever take a screenwriting class and they tell you, okay, the first step you do when you start to write a screenplay, um, write the one sentence line for it that you would read in the advertisement for it. Uh, right? Like, because it, it defines for you as the person making it so much what you're trying to make. And so a title is always one of those things that helps you define what you're trying to make. And whether it's a song title or a movie title or a whatever it is. And and so for this, I think that throwing titles out was sort of, it's sort of like that creative exercise of what are we really trying to say? You know? Yeah. It's yes. crazy to see that you didn't have that plan from the start, that it just started to evolve into what it turned out to be. Like, it sounds like you were like, yeah, I'm going to do a documentary. And then it was 
oh, I'm going to do, you know, there was a, there's a big part. He, I watched it at his house. He, he's like, I'm going to press play. I don't want to watch it. So <laughs> enjoy. And I was like, oh, okay. And he left. So I did I, the same thing to my siblings. Yeah. I, get, I brought my laptop to them. I'm like, here you go. I'm leaving. Yeah. But immediately I was like, wow, this is, this is, you're showing the hard work and stuff that I didn't, that I hadn't seen before. I, I knew that he got hurt doing the loop, but I never saw the video of that. And it is, it is brutal. You, you know, know when you, you know, what's crazy about that footage is that I've seen it on YouTube and I, I'd seen it for a long time, but it, that was one of the hardest pieces of footage to track down. And they couldn't find it. The Wild Boys production company that yeah. initially shot it, they couldn't find it. And, you know, it was weeks and weeks of calling. And finally, they said, oh, we we found it. We found it. It says monkey on it. it we, this is it, you know? And they sent it to me and I sent it straight to our transfer person. And they transferred it, but they forgot to transfer that one piece. So I get the thing back and I'm like, oh, it's not it. It, it wasn't it. And then I called the transfer house and they said, oh, we made a mistake. So then I saw it. Long story short, I you could never see that clearly because it was such low res on YouTube. Yeah. You never see that you weren't wearing a helmet under the monkey suit. Like it was just a blob of yeah. of like fur before. And then when we saw that, it was it was that much more crazy to watch. Yeah. You know? But you know, what's interesting about that is that you're a skater and you're a hardcore skater. And to me, that's the biggest compliment of all is that you watched the film and it drew you in and it kept you interested. Oh yeah. Like I know it's going to keep people who don't know much about Tony interested because they've never seen any of that stuff. Right. But, but for you to, to feel, yeah, I showed it to Lance Mountain as well. And, and, um, because that was a big, that was a big thing. Lance is a pretty tough critic of the history and he's, yep. and he's obviously a historian and a archivist and all that. And, and, um, that was important to me that, that it had that balance that, people wouldn't feel excluded if they didn't skate, but that skaters wouldn't feel bored because they knew the story. I cannot believe the amount and the depth of footage that you found from every era. Um, Yeah, I didn't see a lot of that footage. And I thought I'd Angles of of Del Mar contests and Whittier stuff. We did find that second angle of Del Mar that was And, and And X Games, like, you know, all the people that went rogue, like, that that 99X Games, anyone that was filming that wasn't ESPN was not allowed to be filming. So there's a few shots where you see, like you see Bill Weiss and he's hiding his camera with, like there's one shot where he's hiding his camera with a jacket and he's shooting. You know, what's interesting is that is just around the era where a lot of people have cameras. They're not on their phones yet, but people yeah. like the high eight. Skateboarders did. And skateboarders yeah. had cameras. And I'm sure when you started getting close to that thing, people are like, I'm gonna film this. Yeah, well, that's a, Whitey shot a sequence and he hid his lens from yes. the ESPN people. Right. Because <clears throat> the ESPN said absolutely no cameras. No, they used to only let, they would let skate uh, publications up on the deck for practice to shoot photos. And that was it. Isn't it funny now with the phones? Like, <clears throat> yeah, no, forget it. You can't keep anything no secret, control. but it was, it was amazing to see all those people that, that did shoot it um, and have been held on to that footage. Yeah. Um, and then we all knew it. you were gonna make it. You could tell. Were you something there that about day? It. Yeah, I was. He's in it. I, I was. Uh, he's, he's in the. He's in that part in the film. I Wait. was the announcer on the ground for ESPN. So I had the microphone on the flat oh, bottom. Oh, that's you. Yeah. Yeah. A few, a few fewer head tattoos. 
Yeah, well, I had a I had a baseball cap on too, but yeah, I did not. I also had hair under there, so things were, <laughs> things were going great at the point. But I could I could tell. Everybody could tell. It was a. I feel I feel like we knew. He got close, and then we just knew there were so many people and so much, so much of the community wanted him to make it. Yeah, and it was like even if it's impossible. You need to you need to figure it out today. We've we've been here. <laughs> we've seen a few people try nine hundreds. You're the guy. You should do it right now for all of us. It'd be great for all of us if you did that. And it was just you could see his focus. And then at I one know. point, almost rolling weight. And that's when I was like, "That's it. It looks really hard, but he he's gonna do it. He's well. He's and, gonna do it. And one of his earliest attempts was one of his closest. That was the wild thing. Is one of your earliest attempts was really. Oh, close. there at the accident. Yes, out yeah, of the twelve that, I, attempts. I wasn't ready to commit on that right. one. Um, yeah, but the interesting thing is, I know you just pulled that part of the best trick. Like, if you watch that best trick event from start to finish in real time, there's so much heavy skating in it. So many NBDs that happen in yeah. that 20 minutes. I mean, Colin McKay, shout out to Colin McKay, he won. And the yeah, time went out. Right. Backtail big spin, right? Yeah, on the ledge. Right. And, and it was ridiculous that he, uh, no one's ever done that before. And I was like, oh, I can't believe Anybody can do that on a skateboard. And then he spammed one where it looked like he could make it. Yeah. And Colin is my best friend. We were like that night, like rooms next to each other. We always hung out every day. And he was, you know, I can't believe he's going to do it. He no longer cared about him winning best trick. We made jokes at dinner afterwards. He was like, yeah, that kind of sucked. Like, <laughs> I but just won the best trick. And then this guy goes over time and makes an 900. But he did it with sarcasm he was so happy that he was gonna sure, do that yeah. for us we yeah. all were so happy but i just mean like that uh, that that isn't obviously isn't showing the doc because I, I i mean i understand why but i i just think that that is something that has been passed over for sure and when you if, if you go back and see it and now that we have all this footage it's pretty amazing i wonder if like, that ramp because like it, well, it was yeah, it was perfect. one of the best built ramps at the time but also everyone you know best trick events were all just a shit show yeah. through the years it was just people everyone dropping on each other bailing 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 and then for that one they had you know they had pre-qualified everyone based on their best trick standings from other events right. so it was a, a, you know it wasn't just 40 people it was like okay we have eight these are the people who have done best tricks over the last couple of years and come through and then and we were going in order so there was there was a little bit more clarity to right. it right but it could, still could have just been a bail fest right and yeah, it wasn't. Everyone was, you know, was, was on. Bucky, was, blunt kick flip to fakie off that ledge thing. So he kick flipped, kick flipped blunt back in from some bird. I think you're mixing up the years because there was a ledge the next sound year. Sound like me? <laughs> yeah, there's no ledge. <laughs> there's on that no, there was no ledge. Oh. Um, okay. But it was yeah, it was Colin and, and Bucky and Andy and Bob and. Um, oh. Do you know what I think about Rune. that section of the film? Is not only the trick being landed and and the fact that. We, we spend a lot of time in your face and you can read your mind and your thoughts. And I love all that. But what I think about is your dad and that little piece of interview that we found where your dad says, the thing that's so beautiful about skateboarding is skateboarders actively encourage each other yeah. earnestly. And he had, and your dad hadn't seen that in other sports. Right. Um, and, and to me, that was, that's such a, a thing that he noticed because he says that in 1987 or 88 is when that, Interview. Yeah. So that no, it, 80, yeah, eighty-eight, eighty-nine. So like 88, ten years later. Yeah. 
You know, there's video of he almost makes one and I go to the camera. I'm like, I can see it in his eyes. He's going to make the next one. And then he made the next one. And I, like when he made it, I was like, oh my God, even though I said he was going to make it. <laughs> I was like, and I just started running towards him. I was going to tackle him. And I ran and he was probably 20 feet away. And before I got to tackle him, a hundred people just like <laughs> is that beautiful? And we were and just in this sliding down the ramp of beautiful of Tony Hawk. It <laughs> was crazy. Yeah, it was so cool. I remember like Sean Penn. Like there was like Hollywood actors and people there that were all. We all oh, had yeah, the same Sean face. Yeah, I'm probably yeah. I, I'm not getting that it wrong. was the right. That's yeah. Right go, yeah. Jason. All right. <laughs> I remember I that because someone the earpiece guy was like, "Hey, interview Sean Penn." I was like. I don't think he wants me to interview him. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, yeah, but, you know, go ask him. And I was like, this is back when I took orders. <laughs> he was there for the doubles event. I don't know if he was there for that event. I think okay. he was there for the doubles event the, the night before. Okay. And Andy and I were about to drop in for a practice run. And we're like, dude, that's Sean Penn right there. That's Sean Penn. We you both slid down the oh. ramp to go meet him. Oh, really? Like, just bailed our practice run. We were so excited. Now, I... Someone grabs your board and holds it up in the film. I forget who it is. There's, but a, I, there's sort of a, a weird uh, history to that. Do you know where that board is? Yeah. Well, someone stole it. Okay. So that one, of, one was, of the dudes we, that was doing Greg security. Greg and I were asking that. Like we were <clears> one of the dudes that was it. doing security took it. I lost track of it. Okay. You know, I don't know. Or, or someone that was working on the ground. I don't know what their job was or whatever. They took it. Um a couple of, I think a couple months went by and I got an email through our Tony Hawk website and said, hey, I my neighbor took your skateboard wow. from the X Games. Like, I know he has it. Really? Yeah. And and if you want to try to get back, I'm willing to mediate that. Wow. And we did. No kidding. And sent him a bunch of gear. You know, no like no drama, no accusations or anything, but it was just like, hey, what do you want for it? And sent a bunch of gear and and signed stuff. So it's like a blackmail situation. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. But 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 at the same time, I was just thankful that someone reached out and now yeah. I have it. I have it. And is it on your wall? Is it? No, it's just in the it's just in my office collecting dust. <laughs> it's it's in the uh, it's in it the warehouse. My, it's oh. in the gondola from Mammoth. It's just man, I would put a chain on that and wear it around my neck. No, there's a, there's a cage in our office with a bunch of random stuff, and that's in there. And then there was this um, someone took all of my X Games trophies. And put them in a glass case, like on display, hanging. That's in there, and just found it recently, and the whole thing is smashed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, here's my question for you: Where's the board that you broke your femur on? In my car. Too soon? It's in my car. It was too. It's soon. in your car right now. Yeah. You know what's <laughs> funny is uh, we the Oscars just happened, and my wife uh, Gucci uh, offered to. To dress us. I told my wife about that. And my wife had these super slippery heels that they gave her. And she's just like, there's no way I'm going to survive in this. And MacGyver. So I took grip tape off of that board and made uh, strips of grip tape. On the bottom to, of her shoes. On the yeah. bottom of her shoes. <laughs> so now that 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 board is missing these chunks of grip tape on the nose and the tail. But So that it can put grip tape on your wife's shoes that went to the awards where Chris Rock got slapped by Will Smith. I, I would say that you would so call is there, you was would, there some correlation? You, you would have… Uh, Sorry, I just had to bring it up. You were there. It's crazy. You would call that a complicated uh, Provence, right? Uh, no, uh, Provident. What's the word when you… Uh, well, you're you asking try to, the wrong guy. 
art history when you try to um, understand the um, the origin story of a piece of art. Oh, provenance, provenance. It has a complex provenance now because it has it the does. Yeah, it, it has the Oscar bit yeah. to it history wise. It has the femur. Thing. There's a part of me that wants to keep the board and and have some sort of redemption on it. I knew it. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Well, I'm but, allowed to say, look, I love you. And I think you, you, should, you say, I knew it like you're disapproving. No, I'm not disapproving. I'm, I'm a little bit fascinated by your will. Like, even though I know you have a, a lot of drive, but the last show we did when you were, I talked about skating, you were like, man, don't, don't talk about it. I'm getting itchy. I want to get in there and I'm going to yeah. do that demo. And I was like, you're going to do that demo? That's like six weeks. Yeah, so don't talk to me. Don't be negative. And I'm like, wow, you are possessed. You're a crazy man. Yeah. But in a good way. I meant it in a good way. And when he brings up, like I can tell, the slam, that injury, he's going to get back. He's going to do that trick again yeah, because you're not going right. to stop Tony Hawk. That's right. And just bringing up that that board is in your car because you're like, maybe I'll do it on that exact board because that board has got the wrong guy. <laughs> like that's what you're thinking. You're like, wrong yeah. guy, skateboard. We'll be back and we'll yeah, be making right. that five. You're right. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> I want to deny it, but yeah, you're right. It's yeah, awesome. you might have to hold on to that board and do a five on it. You might have to put a little grip tape back on it, though. I will. Yes, that's please true. Do. I need a little patch. <laughs> um, well, uh, what else? Oh, I, I did want to ask you this too. I know it, it's it's not really related, but when, when you approached me about doing the documentary, uh, you were talking about doing something on YouTube as yes. well. Yes, yeah. So at the time, uh, in fact, show, you kind of threw it up. You pitched it to me like I'm going to do these two documentaries yeah. simultaneously. Strangely, at the time, Showtime came to me, and I, I had just made a Bob Dylan film for them. Or, or yeah, I had just. Sorry, that's my phone. Yeah, it's me, but it's it's vibrating at least. Not Bob ringing. Dylan. I had made a Bob Dylan documentary. Does that mean you were hanging out with Bob a little bit? Yes. Yes. Wow. Um, no I, offense, Tony, but. You were hanging out with Bob Dylan? Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had a crazy experience with Bob Dylan. Uh, Wouldn't it be every experience with Bob Dylan yes, would be crazy? But this was particularly crazy because he asked me to photograph him. I, I've done him, I've photographed him twice for the cover of Rolling Stone, once in Spain and once in Paris. <laughs> and when when I came to Spain, he wanted to hang out for a while and talk before we started shooting. So I went to his hotel room and he showed up in pajamas to the door and he was watching the Polar Express when I came into his hotel room. By himself. By himself. Which I thought Amazing. was really awesome right off the bat. Uh, and he proceeded, and, and I don't know if he was, I know he was doing a big, uh, pretty in-depth profile about his career. And I don't know if he was practicing how he would talk to the Rolling Stone reporter on me or if he was already thinking about this film that we were going to do. But he told me stories, crazy stories about being in Nashville making Blonde and Blonde and getting a full can of Coke thrown at him by uh, someone in a passing car because he had long hair in 1966 in yeah. Nashville. And these stories that, I could, like, had I had a recorder, no one would have believed it. The yeah. stories he was just casually telling me. Almost like... It was like story time at grandpa's house or something. It was amazing. Um, but so I had just done this uh, Dylan documentary about the basement tapes for Showtime. And they called me and they said, well, we want you to do a big U2 doc. And, um, and 
I was like, great. I love those guys. And I always have. And I've been an unabashed YouTube fan my whole life. And, um, and then they, the whole regime changed at Showtime. They got a new head of documentary. David Nevins went off to run CBS. Uh, like the whole thing changed. And the next person in was like, ah, we don't want to do that. And so Just it like went that. away. But I, I still, I still think there's room to make something like that. So it's, it's not off the ticket entirely. But hmm. at the time, I thought that would go first and yours would go second, Tony. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, me too. <laughs> no, no, not just in the sense that that one was further along and they were, they were sure, yeah. excited about it. And, and, um, well, I mean, there, you know, I don't know if we want to get into the, the ridiculous, the ugly backstories of, of trying to fund it and things like that. But, well, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it but, was, but you told, you did call me and basically just went like in full skater mode. Like, I think we should just start doing this. Because we're we're talking to people, we're trying to get a budget. We, we haven't really landed it. Yeah, it, it was during that, COVID, so it was like it was interesting let's because because it first it took a long time just to set up the contracts, right? To figure out Tony's, you know, uh, you know how the life rights work and what that story involves and what he's not allowed to do while we're making it and what we're not allowed to do and all that silly stuff that you do that took forever, and and then. We wanted to have all that in place before we took it around town to see a what. We wanted to have that contract in place before okay. before my producing partner uh, Mark Duplass and the Duplass brothers, before we took it around the town to see who, you know, who's going to distribute it, whether it's a Netflix thing or an Apple thing or whatever it was. And then we took it around and did not get the traction that we thought we would get. And I don't know if this was timing with like it was right around COVID and Black Lives Matter and everything, but it just didn't seem like people had the vision to go, oh yeah, we should, we should lock that up. And so what changed? And, well, nothing changed. He, he, Mark, he funded it himself. Mark, Mark came back with his tail between his legs and kind of said, Sam, I know I said this was going to be a slam dunk, but like, we're not really getting the offers we thought we'd get. And what do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to make it and I just think we should start. And Mark said, great, I'm in. I'll write checks. And I said, okay, I'm going to throw my my whole deal in. Because I, at the time, had employees and cameras. And um, and Mark was like, yeah, let's just do it. And COVID had just started, which was interesting as well, because um, it gave us our look visually for all the interviews. I just made a decision that we would do all these interviews outdoors because of COVID. Oh, okay. And... Uh, so we started in Tony's skate park in his backyard. And, and then that led to a couple, finding a couple empty pools around LA and Burbank and uh, to shoot in. And then Mike McGill gave us his backyard. Steve Caballero gave us his backyard. Cindy Crawford gave us her backyard for, for Tony's brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, what? We needed, okay. a, we, we needed a place somewhere between Santa Barbara and my house to, to film Tony's brother, Steve. And I, I have known Randy and Cindy for a long time, and I know they have a big piece of property, and I know it's by the ocean, and Steve's a surfer. And so I just called, and I said, Cindy, we're having a really hard time finding locations during COVID. And uh, she said, use my backyard. Wow. So we, we asked a lot of favors and did things in backyards, and it was sort of like, um, it, it, it was great. It was like a little DIY project about mm. the biggest skater in the world. And that sort of gave it its... It's style a little bit, I think. Oh yeah, 
you know, visually and also just just in the bootstrap. It was cool. It. it was it was cool doing it too because obviously we were all kind of stuck in one place, and it, it was all through the chaos of COVID. And and I felt really confident with my skating through those those months. Yeah, because I was just that's what I was doing. I was home taking care of kids and skating as much as possible. And I finally kind of got my groove back, whereas I was skating more sporadically before that. Um, the irony is that I got hurt right when it's getting released, but um, but I did feel like, oh, I'm prepared to talk about this stuff because I am right in the mode. Yeah, um, yeah. But do you want to tell the story about the the deal that fell apart? Well, without naming names, um, we got one offer for what I thought was just enough money to get this thing to the finish line. And that would not include music licensing or or licensing clips and footage. It was just sort of enough to make it. And we and I wanted to make this film. And so I was willing to take it. And I was like, okay, um, I, I guess, I guess that'll get us going. And and I just it's just sort of shifted to my mind from, oh hey, I can make some money on this film too. Hey, I can make this film. And I wanted to make the film. And I didn't want to wait any longer. Tony was waiting and wondering why it was taking so long. Um, so we said, okay, and sort of had a, a deal in the works again that had to then go through all the contract processes back and forth through agents. And that was, that was right at the time when Black Lives Matter happened and COVID got pretty serious. And we called to close the deal and said, okay. And the people who originally gave us that offer, who I don't want to name, uh, they... They were like, well, I don't know. What? It's a white sport. Uh and the and it's white producers making it about a white skater. And wow. we just don't think it's and at that point, Mark Duplass and I called each other and we were like, that's crazy. Like yeah. that's insane. And that almost was the the catalyst of we're just gonna go make it. We're gonna show everybody. I remember and we'll just sell that. it at a festival. I remember when you called and told me that and and while I understood one perspective, I was like, have they been to a skate park lately? I, I know. Do they see the diversity that, it, that we have been advocating for for so long? Like, it was just like, no. And do you know what I think? I think I've been hearing that my whole life. Like my whole career has been, you know, make something when when no one wants to, no one, e either no one trusts that I can do it or they don't want to take the risk. So I've just sort of done it. I paid for the Wilco film myself. And I've always kind of felt like, oh, if I'm going to make anything or do anything, I'm just going to have to do it myself. I trusted your vision and to be mindful of, of all my ups and downs and challenges and, and to be true to skating because that could have gotten, that could have gotten gone south really quickly with anyone else in terms of how you present skating or how it's represented. Yeah, yeah. And so I knew I could trust you with that. And also just with the, all the, the delicate aspects of, of what I do and family and, and everything else. So um, I, was, I was definitely, you were the only one I was going to trust to do it. Um, fast forward to, I don't know how long ago it was, but I'm in the grocery store. <laughs> I was, I'm literally getting groceries, which is a funny thing because Miles says in the, in the dock, you know, you saw that dinner scene. He's like, are you guys pretending like you make dinner or you get groceries? I'm like, I do get groceries. <laughs> <laughs> but I was in the grocery store and Sam calls me and uh, he's like, hey, what's up? 
he goes, uh, what are you doing? I go, I'm literally like in the, in the dairy aisle. He goes, well, I think you can remember this phone call <laughs> and where you are. And I do now. He's like, because HBO just bought the dog. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good moment. And it, we had a little bidding war. A couple of people yeah. wanted it. And, and uh, that was one of the most exciting. But I hadn't heard from him. It felt really good. A bunch good. of people saying, eh, me, I don't know. And then all of a sudden you got a bidding war because you were right. Let me just say it was about between 10 and 15x what the original offer was. Fuck yeah. <laughs> but but it was when, it, in the couple weeks leading up to that, he said he had been sending it to different studios and different um, different uh, channels and whatnot. And, and it's like, what's happening? Ah, yeah, I'm just not, you know, he's just trying to keep it under wraps. No, but, but, but I was surprised. The sense I got, we sent it out on a Thursday and the sales agents that we used to sell it for us was like, oh, yeah, we're going to hear a lot on Monday. And then Monday comes around and nothing. And I go, oh, don't worry. They take, they sometimes take a little more time. And, and a week went by. And I was like, oh, no, what's going on, yeah. you know? And, uh, and I think it was just, a, a, you know, I think it was just one of those things where people wanted to get their offers in order or whatever before they reached back out. And they were having, I think the sales agents were keeping me at bay. Like they had heard some things, but they didn't want to tell me anything because they didn't want to somehow get my hopes up. So um, it moved really slow. And then all of a sudden on a Saturday, because I called you on a Saturday, it just, yeah. it just started moving. It started cranking where we were, we were having back and forth between two buyers on a Saturday and people are at home doing this stuff and the numbers are going and we're having conversations and it was super exciting. And HBO was so, uh, the reason we ended up there was because they loved the film and, and I even asked them, I think I said, hey, not that there's not more work to do or um, not that I don't want to hear your notes, but would you release this as is the version you're seeing right now? And they said, yes. And that's why we chose them because they they didn't want to come in and then try to say right. we can make it more marketable or we can make it more um appeal to a younger audience or whatever it change was change your whole show your right. whole movie like right i hear that they try to do that a lot so a that lot was and and sometimes that's appropriate sometimes you go okay there's a there's a partner here that really understands the market or the value. And, okay. and and as a director, you can take help from an audience. You can take help from people who have been in these positions. But on this film in particular, because this sport is so close to me, because Tony had put so much trust in me, because the music that is in the film is the music that I grew up not only loving, but learning to play in the bands I played in, this was the most personal film I was ever going to make. So there was no need to compromise. And, right. and I will say that the the other buyer offered us more money. Um, but they, I think, wanted to have a little more creative and editorial say. I think it, it was crazy getting the soundtrack. That, that was one of the things that I act, was actively involved with. Yeah, this, that was amazing. Like, I wasn't involved with the editing or any, or you know, getting all that footage and stuff. But, but we, like, we needed Tony to step in and a ask a couple favors. And uh, okay, every so single song they chose, like their dream songs, they got. Which you never happens. I, I mean, some emails. Yeah, no big deal, but... Tony just had to email the Sex Pistols Steve Jones and ask for a little help. Was that a nervous <laughs> email? No, I was hyped. 
I was hyped that someone gave me his email. Verified <laughs> that one. That's crazy. It's one of those things where you, you put it all in because you want to sell the film and you know the music that makes you the most pumped up. Yeah. Like to put the adolescence over Tony skating against Dwayne at Skate City is so cool. Uh, or, yes. or to be able to use The Clash when he lands a McTwist for the first time. And you go, oh, this is getting me completely stoked and that's going to help sell the film. And then you figure, okay, some compromises are going to have to be made. Or, or just that, that, oh, well, there goes the, the there goes all the money you got for the budget for the soundtrack. You're not going right. to get Joy Division. Right. right. Or you're not going to get uh, uh, two songs by The Clash or you're not going to get yeah. um, uh, Pavement or The Replacements. Or but I mean, you did. we got them all and it was so fascinating. And I have to say, we have this music supervisor named Allison Wood who... I don't know how she did what she did, but she managed to make it a situation of most favored nation where everyone got paid the same amount, depending on if your song was Peter and the Test Tube Babies and it was obscure or whether it was uh, Anarchy in the UK. Yeah. And and everyone agreed to, to the same fee. Uh, and I think they all did it because of Tony and wanted to be involved in a film like this. It was a good move on, on, on their behalf because... Skateboard documentary, especially the skateboarders, that's going to be hard for us not to think it's cheesy. Oh, yeah. We just want to hear other mainstream people trying to show us what skateboarding is. I know I'm older, so maybe, I mean, I'm not like the kids demo or whatever, but to me, it was, it it needed to be, it needs to be out there because it's more, it's more reality based. Like if you want to be good at anything, not just skateboarding, anything. It's not easy, and there's a lot of stuff that comes that that isn't glamorous and and almost makes you come across crazy. Yeah, but if you want it, make no mistake, that's involved. And I feel like not a lot of documentaries, especially when it's someone you know, he's usually being pushed to the younger generation, which means you don't want to put any rough edges out there because kids aren't ready for that kind of stuff. Right, like, right. But, it, but if you want to be Tony Hawk or something like that, and you're a kid that loves skateboarding, make no mistake, this is this is part of it. Like you get hurt. It gets dangerous. You have to make choices on, you know, do you want to keep your body fresh or, you know, I mean, how much do you love this game? And I felt like it was, especially I'm older and trying to get back into skateboarding. And, you know, many times I was like, man, should I, maybe I should just stop, you know, like I feel like I'm, I'm being dangerous. And yeah, how old, how much longer are you going to, Go like I question myself, and then seeing him, because I've always seen him as far more talented than I, and I've always disrespectful in a way. You don't get hurt that much. Which watching the documentary, I was like, wow, you. Granted, I've hit my head a lot, but wow, like a lot of injuries, a lot of danger has been involved in his career, and I feel like not a lot of people show that. It's just like, yeah, Tony Hawk, it's a video game, woo. Like, yeah. No, not exactly. Not exactly at all. Yeah, and I, and I wanted to show it because I want to show what a badass t- that yeah. Tony is and that y- this does not come without a price, but that here's the guy will, like, and that's the thing. I think everyone thinks of Tony Hawk and they think of seeing him land everything. Yeah. When you see the film and he's not landing Even everything. I thought that. And I've been in it the whole time. I thought, <laughs> yeah, he just makes it. He usually just makes it. Yeah. And then I, my new name for him is Warlord. Like, I feel like between that documentary right. and then that slam the other day, I'm like, you're a lord of war. You can take it. <laughs> I guess I just worry that the messaging or that the takeaway could be that, well, he's just careless. And I, and I don't, and I do feel like 
so much of of my risks are calculated. Yes. I would and, challenge that. And I think that you cannot judge a, you, you can't make a judgment based upon what an, a person that is lacking knowledge about something will, the conclusion that they will draw. Yeah. Like, yes, there will, there will be people who see this film and say, Tony is careless or he's crazy or he's too old or whatever, but they don't understand what, what you're doing. Uh, no, I, I, I accept that. I'm yeah. Not, you know, I'm not looking for, I'm not looking to, to turn their, to, to change their opinion or for their validation. Right. I, I, I do worry that that's the messaging and, and, Part of me worries that that isn't a good look for skateboarding. Hmm. Um, yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I hope that this helps people understand it and what it brings us, and that it can be one of the best things for for youth in terms of building their self confidence, teaching them how to create their own goals and to solve problems, and and um, to find a community that maybe isn't just. The, the ones in their reach or or ones that are mainstream, so to speak. And so there are all these things that I feel like I've been advocating for in skateboarding. And I worry that that somehow people see they'd be like, well, I don't want my kids skating. Well, I do think that that they see you skating and you are 15, 16, 18 feet above the flat bottom and putting yourself at a, a much heightened level of risk, even, even though you're very good at what you do and you're in control. Um, Whereas you, most kids who go to the skate park and enjoy skating and, and it becomes a lifestyle for them, it might be a different level. And, and I hope parents can also make that distinction and go, how great is this for my sure. kid? I, I'm just, you know, I have, yeah, to, I have sure. to voice those concerns. Not that I would have changed it if I could have. Right. Well, I mean, my, my takeaway on this in reflecting on my own life is that without skateboarding, I would not have developed the confidence that I have to... to allow me to go into a room and pitch a film or allow me to yep. to uh, take a loan out from a bank to buy equipment to go make something when when I couldn't get someone to pay for it. And that confidence came from skating because yep. I was a scrawny, skinny kid who was bullied and um, did not have much of a, much, I didn't have a very high opinion it, of myself for a long time. It's weird to see that and also to, you know, when we were kids, you, you just got picked on. Yeah. Stop picking on me. You're always picking on me. And we never really equated that to bullying or had any resources to fight it. Well, I, I got bullied pretty severely. I was I was like the smallest kid forever. And I got put in trash cans in my school. Yeah. I, got, I, I used to get I used to get picked up and swung around. Yeah. I'd be walking down the hallway and somebody'd be like, look at this guy. What was he in eighth grade? I got taped to a chair in the middle of a pep rally for the football team oh. and put in the center of the school and all the kids threw like their lunch at me, their food. And do you, do you think it gave you some fuel to to drive you to what you do? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I I, I remember thinking even as I was sitting in that chair, like, no, nah, it wasn't the cliche, I'll show them, but it was, I'm not gonna stand for letting them define what huh. my version of of what I can do with my life is. Like Tony's skateboard in the trunk of his car right now. Right. Exactly. We'll be back. <laughs> that skateboard is not oh, going to define. I'm, I'm going to sure I want to see there. your skateboard and threaten it. I want to um, go to your car and be like, "Hey, man, he ain't playing." But just so you know, <laughs> all I'm saying is that that I didn't really think. I guess I, I didn't see it from that perspective back then. It was just it was the same thing where I was just like, "I'm just going to." 
Right. Doing you this. didn't. It I was, didn't see it as bullying either. I was just yeah. like, well, this is my lot in life. I go to school and I have to avoid certain people. Yes. And I can't. I can't be out in the quad at this hour. Yeah. Right? You know. I had to, and I knew. I knew that I can't carry my skateboard through school. Right. Or I'll get hassled. Right. Or they'll just steal it. So I used to there at, at in, in ninth grade there were there were these bushes behind the the bungalows because the, the school had an extension and no one went there and I would hide my skateboard there when I get to school. It's such and a bummer. And then I go get it. It is such a bummer. And even even going to the skate park back then was a very different experience. Like there was, you know, there was not great treatment. And, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. You know, from the older kids. Yeah, that was my one. The peers were just always really mean. Yeah. I just always, I remember, I felt like I was the first generation of like, hey kid, do you want a shot on the ramp? And, and, and because of my, the people before me were definitely not letting me get a ride. Like you had to yep. get involved in an argument of sorts to get a ride. If you didn't know how to drop in to just get on the flat and start pumping when all these good guys were up there, they would never let you do that. And scariest remember, thing ever was like a snake session where yeah. you you have to slide your board out yeah. and and you have to drop in even if someone else has slid their board out. Yeah. I saw a collision once on our ramp where two guys hit exactly head on and one of the boards split right through the middle down between the truck bolts because the boards hit so hard in a head on in a snake session. Yeah, those were happen. great times. I saw, I saw someone get taken out, like taken out. They'd never... Skated. They, um, what was his name? Like I saw, two dudes collide, and just head that, on because they both dropped in. Ben Schroeder. Ben Schroeder oh. and oh, who was it? I remember. Yeah, man. Skater. Not a good guy to run into. And, Maybe and, the last guy on the planet yeah. I want to run into. But yeah, snake sessions were the biggest skateboard. skateboard I used to. I used to. Um, well, I did the same thing as Jason as I got older, and I would see more in, in, intimidated skaters trying to get in. I'm like, look, I'm going to, I'm going to drop in, just drop in right after me. Right. I'm and then you, you just hop out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We broke it. I think so. Yeah. yeah we were the, I like I, to think so. Yeah. I feel like you were the first of, cause you were in that thing where there was punk rock guys and you were uh, trying to excel, learn new tricks, flippy stuff, spinny stuff, which is not punk rock. So you're, you, you put yourself in that category where, and then you're getting bullied. So you know what it's like to be picked on. And you're like, you know what? I'm not returning that. Like, I don't like how I feel right now. Note to self, I'm not doing that to the next generation. Yeah, I, I had a I lot felt. of moments like that though through skating. Like first time I met a pro that was a dick and not, not, yeah. not Dwayne, but like other, other pros that were just like, oh, I don't want, if I ever was in that position, I don't want that to be the interaction that I have with someone. Yeah. It's yeah, I, I think that you go one of two ways. Either you repeat that behavior yep. or you go completely yep. the opposite direction. Exactly. Yeah, yeah I would say he's probably cycle. the best guy at that. I feel like he is, he makes it like a, like a make a wish thing for people that aren't dying. If you're skateboarding and you're near him and he knows that you're like little guy trying to learn stuff, he'll do a thing where that kid, guy or girl, will remember it for the rest of their lives that Tony Hawk tried to help me do this one trick or he, like film me. He's like, you want me to film that? Like I've seen him yeah. film little kids yeah. drop in next to them. I'm like, if I was 10 and Tony Hawk was <laughs> dropping in with me filming my trick, this would be the greatest day of my life. Like I can tell he's, he's making skateboarders for life. Yes. Like people will yes. always want to ride because of this cherishable moment where 
the great Tony Hawk was like, hey man, I see you're like, uh, how's your board? Or always does. You always talk oh, to the Oh, thank kids you. I mean, I, I, I am genuinely interested though. It's not, you know. No, you, not, you're into it. I mean, I remember those two kids from Japan came to your ramp and all you wanted to do was film them. And you wanted to, you, you were encouraging them more than, more than anyone to like, because that one kid was trying an Ollie five, and the other kid was trying a, a, a oh a, a body vero a five, five. Yeah. yeah, and 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 you were filming them, and 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 you were gonna make sure it happened, and the kid yeah. made his trick. It was amazing. He does it for me. Just the other, I can't. You know, I mean, a month ago, you know, if you probably came at it from this angle, I feel like it might be a little bit easier, and I'm like, it's, and then I make, and then I make <laughs> yeah. it. I'm like, it's, it's. It's weird to, he's all, it's It it's is fun though. I, mean, I love, I love when I get to, when you, you, you see there's just an obvious mistake someone's making. Yeah. Right. And it just takes a little bit of, all you got to do is hang your foot off a Isn't it more. great when you get a piece of advice that's actually helpful? Because yep. you get, we get so much advice that isn't helpful throughout our lives, right? Yeah. But when someone can make a little adjustment, uh, that happened with Caballero once with me actually, where he said this little thing, um, and it made such a huge difference on the motorcycle. And and uh, that, that like, it opens up your mind. You're like, oh, that's why that's why he's a pro skater, right. you know? The irony is, that, or the, the funny thing is, when I tell my kids, they don't. Yep. But then someone else who's a, a good skater will give them the exact same advice, and they follow it, and they do it. Yep. I don't think they're original there. <laughs> no, but it does happen. <laughs> I think that's the case. I said that. Kids everywhere all the time do that to their parents. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I can't that's hold right. pads for my son or my daughter or my wife because they don't like, they won't, they don't appreciate me telling them to do something. Like it's, it's, if I'm, if I'm coaching someone that doesn't know how to box and I'm like, you know, try to adjust that or your foot's not stepping out when you throw the jab and they're like, oh, okay. And then they start doing it. But if I tell my wife, hey, your foot's not stepping when you throw the jab. She's like, look, I'm doing the best I can. All right. Just calm down. I'm like, uh, you can't talk to coaches like that. Do you know that? Coach, you just say yes, coach. That's how that works. That's With what's all- going on in your marriage. Your coach. Yeah. That's how, that's how we're better now, but there's still every now and then I don't say it, but she retorts with something where I go, not, no, that's not, that's not what you say when I say that, but okay, baby, sure. Uh, That that was her opening line in couples therapy. It was like, he makes me call him coach. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to try that. That sounds cool. Maybe that's the problem. None of them call me coach. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. So what, what to you was the most challenging thing about this project? Oh, for me, absolutely the most challenging thing is that I am not the kind of documentary filmmaker that says, I got a script in my head and I'll just go out and film the parts that I need to tell the story that I want to tell because I've, I've got the Tony story and I, you know, I know my- You already know the arc that you've- Right. I am a discovery type of documentary filmmaker and it's the worst because I leave no stone unturned, as you know, after being interviewed by me. I mean, we did 25, 30 hours of interviews uh, because I know I I have an idea of what I want to say and I have an idea of, of the story, but I always want that to be better by discovering something that, that I didn't know and ma- then making a connection to that. So 
the sheer mountain of archival material that I wanted to find and go through, the number of people I wanted to talk to, and, and this desire not to screw up your legacy and your history made the project so overwhelming at first. And that's where I want to mention Greg Fenton, uh, our editor on this, who is also a skater and was an early pre, you know, he's only a he couple years older. He sent me a photo older. of his trophy from Skater Cross before I started skating. Like 77 or something 77, like yeah. that. Yeah. Which is, that is OG. Yeah, he, he was, he was for your documentary though. Northern California parks. And actually that's how Greg and I met. We met at the Cove because we were two old guys that would skate the, uh, the pool yeah. at the Cove. And we would just sort of nod to each other. I didn't know anything about him. Right. And, but that's how we met. And that's where I asked him to cut the film was at the Cove. I was, I was coming in and he was leaving. It was a lunch session. And, and I said, Hey, I got this project and I think you should do it. And, but that's where an editor in a documentary situation is so valuable because I will, I, like this film would be 10 hours long if, if I had my way, because it's very hard for me to leave anything out. I want, oh. I, and, and I think that was the challenge was how do I, cause, cause what happens when you start taking things out of a film, you start really focusing the things you leave in. And they, though your story becomes stronger because of the things you take away. It's like a photographer, you know, you, they say it's not what you put into the frame, it's what you take out of the frame that makes a great picture. And it's the same thing with a movie, you know? Can I ask you, I know you don't want to, like when I watched it, you were like, I'm leaving the room. You said you did that with the kids as well. Are you- Not with our kids. We, we watched it with our kids. Okay. Are you, do you enjoy watching the documentary or is it a little hard for you to um, to watch? I. Yes and no. It's tricky. It's you know there there are some uncomfortable moments and and sharing so much personally was was not something I ever have done before. Right. And watching the slams in in this condensed section is hard okay. because that spans fifteen twenty years right. of all that, but it looks like it all has happened at the same time, and yeah. so that's hard to watch, but I, um, I'll tell you one of the most enjoyable viewings I've had was I came up here, uh, I was doing a podcast and Kevin Staub came with me um, and I just let him watch it on the way home. Oh, in the car. Almost exactly the time it takes us to drive up here and drive back. And I was like, Kevin, I want you to see this before, you know, before it goes, you're in it. And to see Kevin's reaction to it was really, special see I, i've and never really heard i haven't heard what if he liked it or he loved it oh that's so um, good to hear and so to see that kind of reception is was really heartwarming to me and special because he's close to the bone and and you know and and i got to we, we got to see in south by southwest i saw people reacting to it in a way that was very engaged yes you know they were laughing at like the tiniest bits that let me tell you, as a as a filmmaker, to have a screening like we had in South by Southwest, it's that's the whole reason that you do it. If mm -hmm. if you love filmmaking, that's the reason you do it. To have a screening where the audience is doing everything you'd hope they'd do and more, and they're finding humorous things that never occurred to you that they would laugh at, and and that at the at the tense parts the entire, you're, you're in a room with 500 people and no one is moving or clicking their phones or right. shuffling or eating food. 
that that screening that we had is was pretty phenomenal. Um, and and to to burst into spontaneous applause at a, at a point in the film when you uh, when you land the nine hundred. Yeah, it was. I, it was. It was. So it gave, I guess. I guess it's more because that's. It's you know. It's hard to see the forest through the trees. It's so personal, and and there are things you know. My like my my wife does not like being on camera. She's very private. Um, it was it was it was a challenge getting her to do it, and and I love that about her. But but obviously the, the whole story can't be told without her uh, voice, and all that stuff was was all it it was also. It weighed heavily on me. It was hard to navigate. But then when I did see that, that audience response, and also when I saw Kevin's response, it was sitting next to me that was so emotional. Um, I, I understood. I understood how it all comes together and how it is seen by other people. And so I appreciate that. Um, but, you know, that that all of that was in the middle of it and leading up to the the final edit that you that the HBO sent. I mean, I didn't get it from you. That's the thing. Like, I wasn't, I wasn't not in control of this narrative. No, no. Um, and so when HBO sent it, it was like, oh, this is it. Like, oh, this is it. <laughs> okay. You know, it's like. I, you know what? And I should say right now that um, I am incredibly grateful for your trust in that and that you did not get into the process and ask for control pretty rare to make a documentary about someone who is alive who would step back as much as Tony did. And, and I'm and, grateful you did it and I'm grateful he let you do it because it was really, I was like, is this really, is this really it? I was really surprised. As soon as it started, I didn't realize we were going to go down that road. And I felt like it was, because you know, I've, I've, I've spun a 900, but I couldn't do it. You know why? Because I felt like I was going to kill myself and I, <laughs> and I couldn't commit to trying to make it. And he did make it. And then all the a bunch of us started making it. And then little kids can do 1080s, like all this work. And I've been close to it, right up alongside it, where I'm like, oh, my God, that's terrifying. What are we doing here? And then he does it. And that helps all of us. We all, like, kind of made it a little bit. And then all the other tricks that he's done all his life, That's it's so inspirational to, to me. But all of us, it meant so much because... I've, I've, there's things that I've almost made and I was like, it's just, it's too hard for me to do and there's too many consequences and as a guy that can usually face some hefty consequences and still commit to stuff, he took it another step and, and made this whole world of skateboarding grow exponentially just by having videos every year or every couple of years where you're like, holy shit, I didn't even know you could do that. Yeah. He did that for generations. So we're all so much better at it and so much more fulfilled because of his commitment. And it was, and that documentary showed somebody who was there for most of it that it was even harder than I originally uh, when, what, thought about it when I watched him do it. I was like, hey, it's not that difficult for him. It's incredibly difficult. And there was so much pain, so much hard work to get where he was. It's not natural talent. You know, even Stacy picking him as a skateboarder that wasn't the best. He just had this drive that Stacy saw, and that's how he got on the team. Because that that is the ability is is it's not about that. It's your passion. Like, how much do you want it? And your body will follow. He is proof because no one's ever done. There's so many tricks that he did that no one would ever do and, until he did it. 
And to know that, you know, when he was 10 at Del Mar or whatever, that he wasn't this crazy prodigy that was just doing everything before anybody. It was just, no, he, he just skated every day. And after the contest, he kept skating after the contest to learn more tricks and then created all of us. Like everybody does stuff that you invented I don't from know your everyone, passion. But I, but I appreciate it. He, he wanted I, it more than anybody. There's yeah. No doubt just, about that. That's the key to, to doing well in life is you just don't give up in the drive. If you have the drive, you can do anything. I know it's cheesy, but like when you were saying the skateboarding, when you drop in, you get that confidence. I left skateboarding to be in radio and I knew I was going to be good at radio because I'd already put in the work in skateboarding. Right. And it gave me that confidence where I knew if Jason puts his head down and works hard, he gets it. No, I, I always laugh when people say things like, oh, I'm terrified of public speaking or things that people associate with terror. Yeah. And uh, people, I think, like the three of us in this room, sort of laugh at that because terror is dropping into an empty swimming pool or committing to something or on a motorcycle or getting in the ring or whatever it is. Like, it, those other things are, you're not going to end up in the ER. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> There's, yeah. And it does give you a certain, like, that's the thing about being a... Uh, a scrawny kid or someone who's younger or developed later and and you find some some form of uh success uh through through the means of using your own body and your own willpower and your own guts and when you find that it gives you an edge uh, on on life and it doesn't matter what room you walk into um, you face that that little demon at the top of the right. ramp or wherever you are, whatever yep. you, whatever that little demon moment is, and and you triumphed. And I b- firmly believe that all those little triumphs are like little building blocks, and they all add up. And 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 I think that's what Rodney's saying at the end too is like you have to keep seeking those out in some way. And Stacy's not wrong. Stacy sought out those building blocks in filmmaking and and became an artist in that way and yep. in, in building a company and. However we however we challenge ourselves and we take risks to find those little things that that add on and and eventually give us our personality and give us our 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 identity. The, you know, those things are are powerful. And if you find them within yourself instead of within a social structure, it's so much more powerful. You can't be stopped. You can't be stopped. And Tony's Tony is the example of that. And I mean, to me, one of the most triumphant days of the whole documentary was when we brought the drone into the into the complex and and filmed Tony skating around this drone. Is that it, when it attacked him? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I still have <laughs> I still have propeller marks. Uh, but but even finger. that is like, well, here's something that Tony's never done before. Stupidly dangerous. Getting incredibly tired because. I just need one more take or yeah. we just, we didn't quite get it. So can you take that same line again? He's exhausted. And at one point the drone comes right in and it's going to take his nose off if he doesn't throw his hand up and block it, which breaks the drone and slices his hand open. And and at that moment, I it was so beautiful to see Tony so committed, even for the film. And, yeah. and yes, I understand he wasn't committed because he was helping out my film. He's like, if I, if this is going to be a scene in the film representing my skating, I'm going to commit 100%. Yeah. And, and it's it's one thing to talk about it in an interview. It's another thing to go and actually see it in person and to be around that, to be like, you know, there's just just the three of us there. It's fierce. It, it's, it is. It's, 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 it's a, well, I'll, I'll say it's, it's different than fierce for me. It's beautiful. It's like, it's watching 
a beautiful thing happen. It's inspirational. Yeah. Like I, I stepped out for a long time and then started skating at his ramp with him after a, a, you know 15 years of not being around. So you kind of forget a little bit. And then to watch, you know, not only him, but, you know, uh, Kevin Starb and all these other guys coming at it with uh, a, a fearless, positive approach. Uh, for a second, it kind of made me go, wow, that I did not know Kevin was that tough. You know, like, yeah. and it's like, yeah. yes, you did. You've just been out and, and you don't, like, you haven't been in the game of, uh, hey, it's going to get hairy for a couple of hours today. Like, a, a, yeah. A, 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 Kevin broke his shoulder three years ago, four years ago. Broke it. Not just dislocated, like uh, the capsule. Wow. And, and he's, he's still, back. Yep. Yeah, he's back. Um, I think that the the part of, it's nuanced and it's hard to explain, but definitely there's, <clears throat> you know, you, you have this theme that I'm, I sort of dealt with my problems or my escape was always just to go skating. And I feel like when I kind of tried, finally figured out my own personal issues and came through and, and, and um, have a life with, Kathy, that's a, a healthy, uh, committed relationship. Um, my skating has taken a different form now where it's just for enjoyment. It's not an escape, you know? It's, I mean, it's a bit because I had my Zen there, but, it, but it's not just me like trying to figure out like what's wrong with me and go skate and, and, and have some distraction in that way. It's just, it feels like I have a healthy relationship with it now, but that would be really, I don't know. It's hard, it's hard to convey uh, I think actually the, the the film, that's one of the things I'm proud about the film is that it brings up that topic. And, you know, there's that one moment when I ask you, how did you deal with stress? And you think about it for a minute in the film and, and it's great when, you, when you're watching a film and you see someone actually thinking about it because then you know you're not being lied to, uh, you know? And Tony thinks about it, he goes, I'd go skate. Same thing I do yeah, now. And, yeah. and, but to me, that's a beautiful thing because it, it, it lets us understand Tony more than anything you could have said in an answer to one of my questions. You know, it's it's same thing as when you talk when Dwayne Peters tells the story of how you uh, took him down away from everybody to to have a conversation with him about his son after he said a terrible thing about your father. It says more about you than we would ever find out by me interviewing you. And those little moments to me are actually the moments I, I like more in the film than the ones where, oh, I asked a, I asked a question that really got a, a, an answer that, you, you know what I mean? Like, yep. like revealing someone is very different than asking someone to um, uh, reveal themselves. No, that's a, I mean, I wasn't there for that. That was before my time, but I know, I know Dwayne Peters enough to know what it was like to be around. I got a pretty good idea that, because I had Australian people that were trying to be him and they were doing that to me because they got it from, from that generation of people. So I had the same, you know, throw my skateboard in the trash because I put a pretty sticker on it and that was not punk. So off my board goes, I'm like, eh, I don't get it. <laughs> and, and, but to still be the bigger person, because like, you know, a part of you wants to be like, you know what, remember when you were shitting on me? Well, now look, fuck you. But instead of that, just being like, that was a crazy time and I, I, I still respect you for what you did. Hopefully you've got past your struggles because we all have them. And I think knowing that gives you an easier, like I don't hate anybody because I've been through my own stuff and I've reacted uh, incorrectly, unprofessionally several times. And I've, it could, because I've, I'm going through shit yeah. and, I'm, and I haven't figured it out yet. And, and when 
you know that about people and the way when they react negatively, you can understand it better and not judge them and get angry. And he's a perfect example of of that because it would be very different. Part of me would be like, remember when you shit on me when I was a little kid? Because I looked up to you and I'll never forget that. Because I, I remember I didn't like Tony Elva because Chris Miller told me Tony Elva was mean to him when he was a kid. Right. And I was like, you disrespected Chris Miller. <laughs> yeah. Stupid. Exactly. But it, but it, you never forget I, these I, things. I readily admit, I I would not have had that same reaction to Dwayne Peters if he said something like that about someone in my family. I just wouldn't. And and I think it takes a pretty, uh, you know, a pretty developed person to, in that moment, be able uh, to. Uh, well, I, and there was a, you know, his timeline is a little skewed, but there was there was some distance there. Also. Sure, sure. Um, and it's just so tragic. I, you know, of course it's. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's horrible. Well, my. My favorite part of the film, which you probably wouldn't like, is, is the credits. Is the credits. I knew because, it would be. <laughs> because that shows all my tricks. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait, what? Okay, yeah. Because it, there is a That's thing. you in a nutshell. And Greg right was there. awesome with editing, but, but I could tell his default edit was to put in a 540. Like of, the, of, of this, this. If the, he has a blank wall that he's trying to fill, it's a 540. Okay. And so there's… So many like talking about well, but in Greg's defense, I think that the 540 at a certain time was the trick that was the most complicated trick. It was the trick that won contests, and that was 85, 86, 87. That was that was the most impressive. I totally get it visually. Um, And And, if you don't skate, it's still a. It is. It is crazy looking thing. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I, I guess I'm I'm more proud of of these tricks that I've created. Yep. That that I've you know put hours and months and weeks and years sometimes into getting just one on video and those are all the tricks in the <laughs> credits. Yes, to still be inventing tricks, <laughs> doing new stuff, super cool. I love it and I appreciate it. The documentary before the credits of all the tricks. I hate to say it, dude, but that was more meaningful. I know, I know it is. I get it. I feel bad even saying that, but I. But like, he already I was, knew that. He already knew right. that. I was, I was stoked on that part. Yes, you know, it's funny. Is we had something until the very end. I don't even know if you know this, but um, in Neil Blender's interview, so um, he said we were talking about music that people skated to, because I, I brought up that. You know, when you see all these old bits of footage from, say, Del Mar, you know, Tony gives his cassette tape to whoever, whoever was putting the Bryce Canites or whoever's putting the. We, we, well, they, they would allow us to do that. Like, you can skate to your own music, just bring us a right. cassette. So, like, Tony's skating to the alarm, like the stand, which was a big, that was a big five song EP around that time in skating 84. That was a big, big album. Yeah. And, uh, and then I asked Neil, I said, what do you remember Tony skating to? And Neil goes, oh, God. Oingo Boingo. Oingo Boingo. Like, Tony would always skate to Only a Lad. Yeah. And it, he'd come skating. And then Neil starts, like, pretending to sing the song. And he's like, <laughs> are we really going to hear that again? Yeah, he's into the worst music ever. I know. Really? <laughs> and uh, Warm leatherette. That's it. Google it, everybody. <laughs> Scarred my mind for the rest of and, my life. And then in the we interview, were just complimenting the soundtrack. In the interview, Neil starts <laughs> Neil starts singing like Danny Elfman, and it's really funny. And then and then you know it's it is the song he uses 
for the credits. Right. So okay. only a lad. Which so, I, I did love the song. I didn't always skate to it, but uh, I listened to it a lot. Gordon and Neil. And I was driving with Neil a lot. So for sure, <laughs> if it was in the car, I was like, hey, play that. But that the song. funny thing was at the end, we had that little clip where Neil's like, oh, we're not going to hear this again. And then we, the credit music. <laughs> and we ended up taking it out because it was too inside uh-huh. baseball. Okay. You, you know what I mean? But, um, but I, I, it's still a great song to cut to. I love the closing credits and I love how that song starts. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, it was this, it's been great, but we're going long, just so you know. So you're winding up how you like the end of that documentary. We have to wind up how we really like this podcast. Okay. Okay. Well, there you go. But that, that, so let's uh, roll out with Only a Lad. No. <laughs> oh, man. No, a warm leatherette. Yeah. This one's going out to Ellis. <laughs> the normal warm leatherette. It's like, is it music? I don't know. Hawk versus wolf. I just won this battle. <laughs> I, I, I got to say, you did. <laughs> I always lose. Whatever. Well, Sam, thank you. Yeah, thanks, thanks for, for, thanks show, for your time. Thank you for uh, being mindful and, and um, you know, telling my story in yeah. a way that Amazing. I think Amazing. It's been the great pleasure of my life to make this film and to, and to come back around and, and, you know, see all the footage from th- that era that I knew so well and was so in love with. And, and, uh, to have you let me do it is really, I, 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 oh, well, I, I couldn't I, be I more, I couldn't too. be happier I mean, about I, the whole. I was a big fan of your work already. Um, and then when I did come to find out that you were there, Hey, just, you know, there's, there's a shot of Upland in, at the Upland contest that he covers in it. He's in the crowd. I am in the crowd. He was there. Yes. Lucky so. bastard. Uh, that hey. was the day I skated Baldy Pipe. Really? Yeah. Ooh, I just got to skate there two years ago for the first time. It was scary because you had to go down a rope to get in there and you had to jump over the... I jumped the thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. me too. I went with Sal, but he made me it. Me too. Through, but yeah. And he started rolling, throwing rocks at me. That was one of those <laughs> days where I was like, uh, maybe this is a dumb idea. Yeah. You know? And then, and then we got there and, and it was so cool. Yeah, it's so cool. Although like, I can describe people. Uh, like and describe and stream. And stream. Stream yeah, HBO. Tomorrow? April 5th. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. HBO. Does that mean it's like midnight tonight? No, I think it's uh, 9 p.m. East Coast time, I think. All right. Don't hold me to it, though. You had it. Uh, my life is in your hands. <laughs> Thanks, guys. See ya. When Shopify says you can sell anywhere, oh, they mean it. Ooh, hold up. Just got a new sale. Whoa, Shopify doesn't mind if you're at sea level or on top of the world. Whether you're selling carabiners or crop tops, start selling with Shopify today and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash podcast 22. Shopify.com slash podcast 22.